And it's time for the next in our occasional series on repairers of heritage taonga. Today it's the turn of wind instruments. Irving Fine's Partita for Wind Quintet shows off Woodwind's versatilities rather well, we thought, and this interview is also very timely. Wood instruments can swell when they get damp, so these rainy winter months are particularly hard on them. Jennifer Weigel knows all too well. She's a specialist repairer and restorer of woodwinds, brass instruments and orchestral strings. We have photographs of her work on our webpage rnz.co.nz slash standingroomonly. While Jennifer brought her specialised skill set to Aotearoa from America and has worked at KBB Music in Auckland for more than a decade, I asked her about the most common damage to woodwind instruments. Yeah, well, we definitely um, end up with the bumps and bangs and things like that. Some of the most detrimental damage happens you know, by accident, and it's usually people are quite horrified to see what happens to their instrument when they have one of these oopses and we try to do what we can to settle them down as well as resolve the issue that they have with their instruments. So um, unlike strings, which are, you know, mostly wood, um, I do a little bit of string repair, not exactly my forte, but um, with woodwinds, we're dealing with both wood and metals. And so the, the damage can kind of cross over into woodworking as well as metalworking. Well, I was thinking they'd be relatively tough. I mean, they have a they have a tough life. But would even a knock be enough to create an impact, even if not externally, but to the sound? Um, yes, you could end up with like with a clarinet or a flute or something like that. The key work is quite delicate, so if you have a small knock to it that bends it out of place, it's not going to behave properly it's not going to function or uh, might not seal the tone hole very well and that will in some cases render the entire instrument unplayable when i was reading on the um on i think it was on the facebook page for kbb music uh there was a a big paragraph about have your musical instruments got caught in the recent floodwaters and i thought and and it says please don't play these instruments so what's the advice you give people Um, whose instruments, say, get flooded? Yeah, so um, we always have to remember that when there's a flood, it's never just water. There's all sorts of muck and ickiness that ends up in there. And these instruments, you know, we're putting them to our face and we're handling them with our hands and putting air through them and all sorts of stuff. So that ickiness is going to get all over us and in the air if we then play them and has big potential of making us sick. So for for anyone who does have an instrument that's caught in floodwaters, um, they really need to get it to a technician so that they can actually have it cleaned properly. And that includes the case as well, if the case got dirty. Um, Sometimes bits and bobs on them aren't salvageable and all we can do is replace them because they're uh, made of a material that's not suitably cleanable. You know, it just depends on on if it's just the instrument that got in the water or if it's the instrument in the case. But definitely a health risk. We need to get those things sorted before anyone plays them again. I imagine it must be really um, emotional 
for you, but particularly for the instrument owners, when they bring in a woodwind or a brasswood instrument, you know, an instrument that they love for repair that's been damaged or maybe just through age, and then when they return to pick it up and play it for the first time, I imagine they're moments that you live for, are they? And, and what are sort of the emotions yeah. that you get from people? Yeah, I've, I've gotten some really, really um, cool responses from people. So um, one was this um, older lady who's, I think it was her aunt had passed away and they found uh, an old violin up in the attic. And a lot of times when people find a, a violin up, up in the attic, it's it's nothing to like write home about, but she actually did find one that was quite lovely. Unfortunately, being stored in the attic, every single uh, glue joint of that violin had popped, um, which they're designed to do that. You'd rather have those glue joints pop rather than the wood crack. And literally it was like an Ikea puzzle or something that that she brought in um, and even some pieces were missing. And so um, I managed to make new pieces for it and then glue it all back together and um, yeah, she was just completely ecstatic when she saw that again. And, you know, she was really looking forward to carrying it on as a family treasure. You know, we've had other things um, like trumpets or saxophones that meant a lot to a family. And so we get those all all done up nicely. And um, we've had people build um, like shadow boxes for them, try to put photos of the people who played these instruments and, um, you know, so there's there's definitely a lot of emotional attachment that goes into these things. And we try to to honor that as best we can when people bring in something that they're quite clearly it's more than just a tool for them. It's it's something that has a lot of emotion and meaning to them. Do you ever have people coming in who want their instrument to look brand spanking new or do most of them accept that the scratches and the dents are part of an instrument story both ways um so some of them like especially these older ones you know if they're wanting to just put it on display for the memories of it sometimes they don't want it nice and shiny and all the dents taken out because those are a part of the history um, other people do want them nice and, and kept pristine, and uh, we certainly will do that for them. Um, we always try to educate our, our clients and customers on what that actually means. Um, so, for example, I work on a lot of flutes, and the vast majority of those are made of silver, which naturally tarnishes. Um, and so we do have some people who do want their flute to stay nice, bright, and, and shiny, but unfortunately, we have to be very careful with that. There's certain ways that you can try to remove that tarnish that are, can actually be damaging to the instrument. We have a lot more gentler ways of doing that here in the workshop, but still, every time you try to remove that tarnish, it does. It, it takes a tiny, tiny toll on the instrument, so we just have to be aware of that. So, for example, um, down in the Rotorua area where there's lots of geothermal activity, any of the flutes and uh, clarinets with silver keys or any other instruments with silver keys, um, they are, for the most part, completely and totally black. And we purposely leave them that way. The tarnish will actually protect the silver that's underneath. And the people who live in that area do accept that. You know, it's just the, it's just what you deal with when you live in that sort of area. I loved your description when you were starting to learn about just kind of disassembling the instruments and putting them back together again. What's the trickiest of the instruments to repair in terms of disassembling and reassembling, would you say? 
I'd probably say oboes are one of the more complex ones. There's a lot of little, um, very small keys and tone holes. Um, there's these springs all over them. And um, these springs have to be weighted differently because some of them are balanced against each other and um, other instruments have this as well. But um, the, the delicacy that goes into an oboe um, or even a piccolo for that matter is, is it's all very, very refined. You know, when we're looking at measurements, we're talking about a, a thousandth of an inch or a half thousandth of an inch. Um, so it's all very, very tiny, tiny measurements that we're looking at to perfect these instruments. What are some of the oldest instruments, Jenny, that you've worked on? The oldest? Ooh, an 1856 grand piano that I've been attempting to restore. Again, this is one of my experimental projects that I that I do just in my own time. But in terms of uh, woodwinds, um, I think I've had a few clarinets and flutes from the early 1900s that I've um, restored. When you have an instrument that's older or has had a lot of use uh, and maybe elements of it have worn themselves out, do you re- replace them with modern materials? Or, or, I mean, how accurate do you try to be to the original materials? Uh, well, when we're talking about the keywork, if it's modestly worn out, we can actually refit the keywork without replacing it. And, and we can usually work with that and, and keep the instrument going for quite a long time. If it has been very, very badly worn out, very, very aged or potentially damaged, then we can replace parts. We can, um, depending on the instrument, we might be able to buy new parts. Otherwise, we are making parts, making keys and stuff. And um, sometimes we will stick with the original materials. Other times it is um, more reliable to switch to a more modern material, um, just depending on the situation. Um, when it comes to the actual body of the instrument, like on clarinets, for example, the wood itself does shift and change and move over time, and it wears out over time. It kind of shrinks, and the the joints get it quite wobbly. We could replace them with um, wooden plugs and things, but sometimes it's actually um, a more reliable option to go back with like a carbon fiber band to replace and rebuild certain parts. Um, so it just really depends on the situation that's that's coming across the bench. I guess one of the dilemmas for you is if you have an instrument brought in that has needed a great deal of, of repair or restoration, a great deal of work done on it, when it's returned and the musician plays it, it may technically mm-hmm. sound better than it did before yeah. because you've done all this work, but it doesn't, it doesn't sound the same as they had adapted to playing. That must be an interesting conversation you have with people. Yeah, that, that does definitely happen. Um, it wasn't an instrument that I worked on, um, but um, one of my colleagues, he um, did this whole massive job on a saxophone once, and he did, uh, he's probably the country's um, top saxophone repair technician. That's Mike Austin. Um, but he did this beautiful job on the saxophone and um, it was absolutely gorgeous. Hands it back to the player and the player said, it's too easy to play. <laughs> he didn't like it because it was too easy to play. And it was, it was, it was quite a bit of a chuckle um, throughout the workshop, to be honest. So, yeah, we, we do definitely get that. Um, sometimes we, we do have to forewarn customers, like if we're redoing the pads or something, sometimes they want to experiment and try a completely different type of pad. And we do have to warn them that it's probably going to sound different when it's done. 
and there's not a whole lot that we can like once it's done it's done so if you don't like it well you got to do the job all over again to put it back to to match what was there before so so we do try to have those conversations with customers and make sure that they're aware of the big picture of what could be the end result yeah, I think that's fascinating, actually, the way people have got used to playing a damaged instrument or an old instrument and the, the sound of it. And it's very personal, isn't it? I mean, it's such a personal relationship between a musician and their instrument. I mean, you understand that, of course, yourself as a musician. Yeah, yeah I actually had a really good conversation um, with a musician just uh, yesterday. And, um, you know, he was he was talking about that relationship because uh, he has a bunch of students. He was trying to tell his students, you need to develop a good relationship with a technician and I I can definitely vouch for that because all my clients who do keep coming back to me you know I I know what they like I remember how they like certain setups and I know what sounds that they that they want and so I don't have to ask them quite as many questions every time they come in Um, I can just set it up and then they're happy and then they go you know whereas if they bounce around to different technicians and then someone else resets it I don't actually know if they like how it's been reset or if they liked how it was before the last time I worked on it. And so, um, you know, there's a lot more conversations that we end up having just to make sure that we end up with the right result that the client actually wants. I think all of the repairs I've spoken to so far have said one of the toughest assignments they get is undoing previous repair or restoration work that hasn't been badly done or was done a long time ago when techniques and materials were different do you find that also with these instruments we're talking about yes absolutely um i'd probably say i spend i don't know how much time but a significant amount of my time on the bench is actually fixing other people's work or very very old work that's been left to sit for a long time and and it's just failed over time sometimes we get instruments that come across the bench that someone has tried to do their own repairs on and um, they've basically made a big miss of it and it's made the cost and the time and everything just go sky high in order for us to fix that you know so so yeah definitely we have we have a lot of that floating around have you had a repair or restoration that has been more challenging that than most that stays in your in your memory maybe a few expletives maybe took a lot longer than you than you planned there there has been some jobs that have definitely taken a very long time. Um, the Probably the biggest job I've ever done is a complete bassoon restoration, which was quite a, a massive job. And this was one to the point where we actually scraped back the entire finish. So if you, if you think of a bassoon in an orchestra, it's usually this lovely, nice, tall red instrument that's sticking out in the back of the orchestra. But we scraped all that back so that it was white nice white shiny maple and um so it was a refinish from from that point pulled all the ferrules off got them all polished rebuilt everything and that that job probably took me about a month to do oh my goodness how did it sound at the end of it oh it was beautiful it was gorgeous (laughs) it was it was quite nice and um i think it is um happily still floating around here in new zealand that's it's really great to to see these top quality instruments staying in the country you know I I get a little grumpy when I see these um really low quality instruments flitting around because aside from a waste of material it's 
it's just a, it's a, I'd rather see a good quality, something that's going to last a long time. And, um, you know, so I, something that's worth repairing like that bassoon, even though it took me a hugely long time to do it, it was, it was completely and totally worth it as a top quality instrument. When you've done a big project like that, Jenny, and the time comes for you to play it, it's been stripped back, fixed, reassembled, you know, elements replaced. You know, that's the moment of truth for you, I imagine, is the first time yeah. that you you play it and you hear it. Yeah, and it, it can be quite scary sometimes, you know, just because, you know, I always have this bit of self-doubt, oh, my gosh, did I do this correctly? And then I'll play it and I'm like, oh, my gosh, this sounds so nice. But then I always still hesitate sometimes I on these really nice top-end jobs. I'm always trying to find someone else to check it for me as a double check, just make sure, did I miss anything, you know? And so um, there is a bit of nervousness that goes along with that. The belief often is, particularly with um, stringed instruments, that the older they are, the better they become with the wood. You know, there's something about the wood that takes on extra mm-hmm. elements of life the older that they get, the quality instruments, of course. What about for the woodwind instruments, since we're talking about wood, um, do you think that the, for the woodwinds that you work on, there's something very rich about an older woodwind instrument compared to a newer one? There's been a lot of technology that has come down the pipeline with woodwinds. Um, so um, in our shop right now, we have a Haynes flute that I restored um, that was from 1956. Please don't quote me on that year. I might be getting it wrong. Um, but if you played that flute against an equivalent modern flute, you will hear a very strikingly different sound about them. And part of that has to do with the technology that's gone into it. Part of that also has to do with the scale has actually changed on these instruments. Unlike a violin where you can put your finger down wherever, wherever it's in tune, when you put your fingers down for a flute, the note that comes out is the note that comes out. You can bend it a little bit using your armature and a few different other techniques but they were built to a different scale back then so that's another thing that um, if you're looking into the vintage instruments if you like the sound that's one thing but you have to realize that it's it's going to have its own challenges just because the intonation is going to be a little bit different with the woodwinds is there a a wood that you particularly enjoy working with and, and you feel gives a beautiful sound for for the woodwinds the vast majority of woodwind instruments that are or the modern ones, at least that are um, made of wood is usually a wood called grenadilla. Um, so that's quite common. If you look at the black clarinets and black oboes and black piccolos, they're pretty much all going to be grenadilla. Now there are some other woods that are coming onto the market as makers are experimenting with different things. And um, there's not a whole lot of those around New Zealand. There hasn't ha- been quite as much of an interest here yet. It'd be really cool if we could get some more of those around. Um, but if you look over into the U.S. market, they're they're all over the place with all sorts of different woods. Unfortunately, I haven't actually gotten the chance to play very many of them. Um, I've played more different materials on flute, actually. So I've played, obviously, solid silver flutes. I've played solid gold flutes. I've even played solid platinum flutes. Um, and those all have a strikingly different sound, and it's it's quite interesting. Platinum's a bit much for me, but I quite enjoy the the sound of the gold ones. What's on your workbench now, Jenny? What are you working on at the moment? Uh, right now, I have a Haynes flute sitting on my workbench. So this particular one, it's the first 
service, I think, that it's had since it was purchased from you. And so it's giving me a few challenges because um, a lot of these manufacturers these days, they're building these instruments to a particular price point. And so they don't come in perfect. And so I'm having to basically go and refine the instrument before I can actually service it. That, I mean, I guess one of the, the lovely things about what you do is, is the advantage of being able to say the, see the craftsmanship um, that's gone into instruments like that. Do you have any makers that you particularly value? Oh, yes. I work on a lot of um, woodwinds across the board. And so for each type of woodwind, I kind of have my personal little favorite. Um, so for flutes, I seem to have a little bit of a soft spot for Muramatsu. Um, just the engineering that goes into those instruments is immaculate. You know, and of course, the, the sound and the feel and everything that goes along with it matches. Uh, for clarinets, um, I'm still a, a huge fan of buffet. Um, buffet makes some of the, the loveliest instruments. They've just come out with a, a new model that I get the privilege in my position of being the first person who plays all these instruments as they come into the country. And so there's a new model, the BC-21, that just came in, and that's quite a lovely instrument. And um, buffet is also the brand that I played on uh, when I was in university as well. Let's see, for oboes, I quite like Haworth, makes some nice oboes. Uh, bassoons, I uh, can't really beat Schreiber. Schreiber's really nice for the bassoons. And for saxophone, probably Yanagasawa. Again, the just the beauty of the engineering of those instruments is just fantastic. Jennifer Weigel, 